Scripture this morning is a second parable from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Last week we read the first, and here's one that comes right after. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Okay, let me put it this way. There are different ways of believing. Some of us, for example, have what I will call a wisdom faith. We find solace in the ideas and the doctrines of the faith the stable insights in Scripture and how the church has interpreted Scripture. We're the folk who learn the creeds and ask good questions about why Christians say this or that about God, why Jesus died, how to be saved, why the Trinity matters, what heaven is. Our faith keeps the world in order. It makes sense of things and lets us live with a little less confusion and conflict. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. God needs us. But some of us, though, have what I will call a story faith. We find inspiration less in the ideas of faith than in the stories. We write ourselves and what we love into the stories and we see God at work in the way life unfolds. Stories of Sarah and Abraham following God's call of Moses and the liberation of an enslaved people of Jesus healing and teaching and dying and rising. 
We look for traces of these stories in our lives and in the world all around us. We teach those stories to our children, caring less about what they believe than how they see the stories of faith unfold in their lives too. Our faith stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we tell them over and over again. Now that's a pretty powerful way to believe. And God needs us too. But some of us, some of us find ourselves drawn to yet another kind of faith. I will call that parable faith. We're the ones who love the twists and the turns and the interruptions of faith more than we're drawn to the steady unfolding. We're caught up short by things that stretch what we thought was true, like when a snake interrupts an otherwise beautiful paradise, or when donkeys start talking, or or walls fall at the sound of a trumpet. When the Apostle Paul wrestles with ideas and never decides on an answer. When Scripture seems to contradict itself in service of a higher truth. We find that God often works by upsetting what seemed solid and reasonable. And we suspect that the truth of God would be out of reach without that kind of upsetting. This is faith that loves puzzles and is okay with not having answers as long as the questions keep us going. We love it when Jesus throws a little story in that seems to make a point in the way a straightforward statement just can't. Hence the word parable. Because parable, you see, is something that is cast alongside something else. A parable influences what it is thrown alongside of in unexpected ways. That is, in fact, what the word parable means, to cast alongside like a ripple of a current that pushes your boat a little askew from its course. Having a course is okay, we admit, but God's more likely in the ripple, we think, and in the play of the rudder as we take in all the forces and recalibrate a bit to enjoy the ride in a new way. Terrible faith is faith that comes alive in surprise. Now, we need wisdom faith. And we need story faith. And we also need parable faith. All three. But for today, just for today, let me ask you to have a a little bit more of that parable kind of faith. Let me ask you to entertain a God of surprises and let your boat rock a little bit 
with the ripples. And let me also ask you to entertain the possibility that parable faith can be an equal opportunity upsetter, rocking all of our boats. Parable faith turns all of our heads from left or right or somewhere in the center toward a mysterious and living Christ. We respond to the surprise with a simple, My God, there's more to see. There's more to learn. There's more to life than how I see things. Like on a flight I was taking before the pandemic. I was already pretty tired when I got to the airport. So when I got to the gate, I talked my way into an exit row, hoping that uh, that would give me a little more room to kind of comfortably make my world for the next few hours. And so I could open my computer. And so I could have some peace. It had always worked before, and so I was ready to settle in. And it began to look like I might even have the whole row to myself. But then he showed up. Mm -hmm. You've been there. Pointing to the window seat over there and asking to get around me to get to it. He was a bit large for the seat, which might be why he had done all that he needed to do too to get in that exit row. By the look of him, I made a hasty assumption that he wouldn't be pulling out his MacBook anytime soon. His hair struck me first, then the earrings, and then I noticed the tattoos. Lots of tats. Arm, neck, made an impression. And he was in a mood to talk. I tried my hardest to signal that I was there to work, but no luck. Now, he wasn't intrusive, he was just social. I made another assumption that we would have little in common, so I kept my responses short. About an hour into the flight, he pulled out his MacBook and began his own work. He offered me the airline snacks that he didn't want. Then he got to talking again. Before long, he was pulling out pictures of his wife and children talking about his church, mentioning all of the charities that he supports with his time and his money and all that that means to him. He spoke of harder times in his life and how grateful he is for how his life is now. He asked me insightful questions about my ministry and he left me embarrassed by the judgments that I had made about him. Judgments that I made only because I wanted to keep my world small and manageable. As we wished each other well, I prayed to myself, Thank you, Lord, for humbling me. Thank you, Lord, for this good man. Or like that afternoon when the disciples were listening to Jesus tell the story that was read from Scripture today. It comes right after the one we read last Sunday. In fact, it comes as part of a whole series of apple cart upsetting events in that part of the Gospel of Luke. 
You see, there were some Pharisees who were dyed-in-the-wool wisdom believers who were having a hard time understanding what Jesus was doing. And they were demanding clarity. When is this kingdom of God you speak of coming, Jesus, specifically? Nail this down for us. Tell us what we are supposed to look for to know that God is fixing things as you say God will. And Jesus casts a truth alongside their challenge. No signs, he says. No verifiable standards like a balanced budget or expanding programs or lack of tension or political power as if you could say, here it is. There it is. We did it. Doesn't work that way, Jesus says. The coming kingdom, he says to them, is already here, right now. It is inside of you already. And get this, he says, to find your life in it, you need to give your life away. Figure that one out. And then he tells the story that we read last week about the widow who kept nagging an uncaring judge for justice and who got her justice in the end because she knew that when you trust a loving God, you can be persistent without losing faith. And then he tells the parable I read this morning. A story kind of like my humbling encounter on American Airlines, except a bit more pointed. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Do you hear that, George? I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, Jesus says, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. I guess you just never know for sure. You think you do. You think you've got a handle on it all at least for a minute. You think you know who's right and who's wrong, who's up and who's down, who's in and who's out, and how to decide whether from the left or from the right or from some vague place in between. You think you got it down, but you don't. Not yet, because God has surprises in store. 
the story can get flipped. Sure, thinking can get broken down and opened up. It can go deeper. The lowly can get lifted and the lifted can get brought low. Someone you dismiss as out of touch or even destructive ends up closer to the fire than you. And you find yourself a little bit in the cold. Someone you think is pretty messed up politically, morally, theologically, or who tells their story in ways that you just don't value, comes up with an insight into life that humbles your philosophy. Folks who are just off in so many ways, but suddenly seem far more on, far more faithful, far more godlike than you would have thought. They do the right thing. They make a selfless decision. They speak a godly word. And your attention, my attention, is turned to what is most important. Like that old southern churchman I've told you about from this pulpit before named Will Campbell, an icon of the civil rights struggle who took to visiting a murderous grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan in jail because Jesus tells us to visit the prisoners. He spoke at that man's funeral and took criticism from his activist friends and colleagues for saying that this man, too, was a child of God. Like my rabbi friend, Jeremy, who accepted his Sabbath meals given to him by Muslim families in villages while he was defending their land against seizure by the military like priests in Nazi concentration camps who offered Catholic prayers over Jewish dead and the Jewish thinker who called those prayers Jewish in every way. Like those of you right here today who take time out of your life to pray for and serve folks who are stuck in hurtful patterns of life, whether through Andre House or Open Table Ministries or other opportunities to help, and saying that you receive far more than you give. Like all of you here who in one way or another were part of our modest conversations about race over this past year, not because you already agreed before going in or thought you knew enough to judge, but because you just realized you have a little bit more to learn than what you were once taught was true. Like any one of us who think carefully, as well we should, who think carefully about what's right and what's wrong and what's healthy, and what's destructive, and what's holy, and what is sinful, but never stop loving, and never stop accepting. And don't stop trying to meet people where they are.
for we are broken too. Formation in Christian faith is less like collecting knowledge than it is like waking up. Like a light that opens your eyes in the morning after the long veil of night. We toss and turn, losing rest from our attempts to make sense of things or get our stories right. Yet in the morning, with new light, we are reminded that God's world is larger than the one that we try to control, and we find hope again. So in the echo of these parables that we've been reading, Let's give thanks for the importunate widow who keeps at it with more faith in God than she has in the world and never gives up. Let's give thanks even for that unjust judge who even in the end does what is right, even if it was for the wrong reasons. Let's give thanks for the Pharisee who goes to the temple so sure of himself, yet who might yet see if God has anything to do with it. And let's give thanks for the thieves and the rogues and the adulterers and the tax collector of our parable. Not because their choices are godly, but because they can still see And they, like any one of us, can still find help. There are folks who wear their history on their sleeve or tattooed on their arms. And there are folks who hide their lives under a cleaner surface. But each of them, each of us, is in need of the same grace as everyone else. Cast that idea alongside your world like a parable and let it surprise you. Let it reshape your story faith. Let it deepen your wisdom faith. And let it open you to even more surprises. For our God is a God of surprises. Amen.